Would you still love me? And would you still want that selfie? Would you still be my super fan if you really knew everything that I've been through and everything that makes me that like sunny person? Because there is more. Welcome to High Low. This is a show where we talk about highbrow things in a lowbrow way and lowbrow things in a highbrow way. I personally don't believe in highbrow, lowbrow. I think you can talk about reality TV and whatever fancy kind of book in the same breath. And it's been my experience that we write off a lot of marginalized people and femme presenting people as being lowbrow when they actually are quite sophisticated. And that's something I aim to do with this show is show you that. So today on the show, I have Jonathan Van Ness. You know Jonathan from Queer Eye, Gay of Thrones, his podcast, Getting Curious, his stand-up, his gymnastics. He did a world tour. He's got crazy socials. Jonathan does everything. We are talking about so much today. I was really excited to get him on the podcast because I know him from Queer Eye and seeing him as this shiny, bright personality. And when he published his first book a couple years ago, he came out as HIV positive. He talked about serious traumas in his past. And I thought it was really not only super, super brave and courageous, it was also a really interesting moment where you realize this really sunny person has been through so much to get there. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to just kiki a little bit. We're covering all kinds of things today. So without further ado, welcome Jonathan Vaness. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. Welcome to your show. Welcome to my show. Jonathan, this is a big deal for me. My friends fucking love you. I love you. I mean, I love you too, to be clear, but also like you're, my friends don't care about celebrity, whatever, that I'll be like, oh, I met so-and-so, whatever. They were losing their fucking mind. Really? You were coming. Yes, absolutely. To the point that, so I have two best friends, like they're basically aunties to my son. And one of their older sisters is like a super fan. And there is this young person who's coming into their identity, age 10, very young, who really loves you. So I wanted to start with his questions for you. I'm so ready. Okay. If you could go back in time and tell your 12-year-old self anything, what would you say? Or gave me an alt. If you could go back to middle school, high school and do something differently, what would it be? Whoa, those are really good questions. I know. I was like, shit, I'm throwing mine out the window. Okay. Well, I think I would say two things to my 12-year-old self. One would be everything's going to be okay. Yeah. I just, I feel like at that age, it's like, I just never felt like I would be okay. And I think especially like, just, it's going to be okay. Cause it's like when you're, when you have control of your life like that, when you're like young and 18, you're like, that's 50 years away, yeah. but actually like it goes by pretty quick. So everything's going to be okay. Then I always, whenever anyone asks me this question, this is really important. Don't do math. All the other things for sure. But that would probably be the thing I would do different, but then who knows if I would be here. Cause maybe it was like, part of my journey, but like, just don't do math. It's not great. And then what I would also have done differently is I would have never quit playing the violin. 
Wow. When did you quit? Playing. I quit when I was like 16. Okay. That's so kind of, so you, like, I was going to say you played, I played for a like long 10 time. years, like a long time. Shit. Well, then don't you think you could pick it back up? I just up? got one a few months okay. ago, but now I'm just right back into that thing that I did when I quit where I just like walk by it and look at it really guiltily because it, it's like. I'm Practice ho- is hard. Practicing hard. is hard. And sounding like shit sucks too. Yeah. Like when you just like cannot hit the you right note. You want to just fucking be able to pick like, it up and be like. And it just doesn't work like that. No, you don't get to like express yourself through the instrument immediately. Yeah. Or really even ever. Because I mean, there there is like your interpretation of the song, but then it also is kind of like the music is there and there is like a right and a wrong. Yeah. Totally. That's like gymnastics too. It no? is a little gymnastics y, except for like, I think gymnastics is like a little bit more fun. Okay. Why? You get to like hurl your body upside down. Actually, I haven't posted it yet and I'm like so devastated. Although I did post it on TikTok because, you know, you can be sluttier there. Like you can post more often. So and it's like the gram, it's like different. Less curated. Less curated. Yes. Oh my God. No wonder you host it. You're like the most exciting, like fun conversationalist ever. I can't oh, stand thank it. thank you. So present. That's so nice. Um, yesterday gymnastics, I did two skills that I've never, ever done before. Okay. Like every other thing that I've ever posted, that's me getting something back that I used to be able to do. Okay. Like in high school. Got like I was like regaining a skill. So when did you stop gymnastics? I stopped when I was like 17. Okay. So 17. And I didn't get a backflip until I was like 15. So it wasn't like I learned really young. I only like did it in like high school because I was cheerleading. I was going to say. So that's where I kind of got it. But then I started doing hair. I like didn't really ever do it again. I was like, I can't break my wrists and my fingers as a hairdresser. Like I got to protect. And then when I got queer, I was like, Bitch, I can totally break my fingers and stuff. It'll be okay. I just, as long as I can chat and my head's okay. Like wear a little cast. I do the hair like most times on Queer Eye unless I feel like someone else can do it better, which is like when I will get someone Mm -hmm. else in. You bring in an expert. If it's not my forte and I know that someone else can, if I'm in a place where I like can't find someone that can do it better, even though it's not my forte, then I it's usually about how are they going to look the best? Yeah. I want them to feel and look the best. It's like not about me, but I need you to become obsessed with gymnastics as I am. Which by the way, (laughs) I'm ready. I'm ready. And I've read some of your books. I read a little piece of both and you drop in the ice skating reference and the gymnastics stuff. And I was like, damn, I'm getting like, I'm learning things. I'm learning things in this book. I want to turn you into a rabid gymnastics fan. I do. It's honestly, it would be really good for me. I'm not a super athletic person, and I know that it would be good for my mental health. So when the Olympics are on, like, you just don't give a fuck. Like, you never have. Like, you aren't like, oh, when I was little, like, I first remember in Beijing or, like, in Torino when I first saw. Wow. I know. Because you were just, like, literally not watching the Olympics. Well, so, okay, to be fair, my parents didn't have TV. Oh, fuck. So I wasn't, like, it wasn't, like, on. You know what I mean? And, no, I can appreciate when I watch, but. When was your first Olympics that you did see? I don't remember. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm I'm blowing it. No, you're not blowing it. You could never, Emily. I think that, like, Paris 24. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll I'll go with you. It's like a good summer games. (laughs) Uh It's like gymnastics is going to be back. I just want to be, like, the girl on the gymnastics for, like, interviewing Simone when she comes off the floor. Like, how is that for you, Simone? Tell us. I think that will definitely. That's I think that's I doable. I just want to be Andrea Joyce. I just want to be like Elfie Schlegel. I think those like the commentator. No, you can totally do that. Everyone would want to watch that. You heard it, NBC. We, yeah, like hire. <sighs> this should be your next pitch. I, you need to call your agents. I and be will like, lie okay. and say that I haven't tried. Okay. I I don't know if it's my outfits for the middle of America that doesn't want to see. That's so interesting though, because I feel like Queer Eye is so wildly popular. <sighs> I know. What was that like? I remember old Queer Eye. I don't remember the Olympics, but I do remember old Queer Eye. And what did you think? Were you excited? Were you scared? How did it all 
feel? Oh my God. It was really exciting. It was also like, it felt like a snowflake's chance in hell of it happening. Like when I, I like read about Queer Eye being rebooted in the news. And, and you was, were working at a salon in LA yeah, at that point? Yeah, between New York and LA. But I had done Gay of Thrones for a few years. I started producing and I started writing and I started being on camera through Gay of Thrones. And I was like, how do I do this more? This is fine. I like that. But like Game of Thrones isn't on year around. Like what else am I going to do? So I'd had like a little taste of success and then I saw that they were redoing Queer Eye. And when they rebooted it, they said that the tagline was going to be turning red states pink one makeover at a time. And I come from like a rural cornfield on the Mississippi River, which we ended up going to in like season four of Queer Eye. Like we go to my hometown in that episode, which was really special. But I was like, I want to do that. Like I'm used to being around rabid, conservative, Trump supporting people. Like I used to affectionately say I like grew up getting chased around with pitchforks, you know, <laughs> which is like half true, but it was intense being me in a rural space. But being in those spaces now doesn't really move a hair on my head because I'm really used to it. So that didn't that part didn't scare me. But I just read that and I was like, I'm meant for this. I'm meant for it. And then it was a really long casting and then I got it and it was a really intense experience. I have so many questions Tell because me. you just said so many things. I was actually on set this weekend with a hairstylist and he was also from the South and he was talking about how he has an association, like as much as he likes the South and whatever, he has this association with just not feeling safe in his body there. And like that it's just really hard when he travels to anywhere except New York and LA, he feels unsafe. And I wonder that what that was like for you growing up to feel so unsafe and then that you're just so used to it now. Like, what does that mean? I think my, like, comedy centers a lot around the queer experience and how queer queerness to me is, like, synonymous with duality. And I guess, like, duality is, like, everyone has an experience of duality. But because that safety was something that, like, I was always trying to conform to blend in to look safe. There's a story in Over the Top of me putting on, like, women's clothing and going to, like, a small town and the next town over and, like, getting chased back into the car peeling out You're of there. You're laughing, but that is so terrifying. Well, it's because terrifying. it's like, what's the, like, what am I going to do? Yeah. Like, am I going to sit and cry and, and be smaller and hide for the rest of my life? So what are you going to do? Well, so there's something too, right, that you feel like this is so, so clear what this dynamic was that you can almost like, there's a ridiculousness to it that makes it lighter for you or? Mm, it doesn't make it lighter. It just makes it like, this is what my experience has been. So I just don't really know what's different. I don't know what else to compare it to. Yeah. So like it's scary and it's my truth and I'm still going to be who I am. It's like an and not a but. Now that Queer has been on for five years and I've lived in like Atlanta, Kansas City, Philadelphia, Austin, New Orleans, it's certainly been an interesting experience of like living in so many different spaces and being around so many different people. That's given me like a different experience and like observation of just where we are in time, like how people are doing. It's just been way more moving. What you see on TV is like, it, that is real. Like there's people who like will be in my life forever who I've met through Queer Eye. Is that what you were saying when you said and it's been really intense, an intense experience? That and like the public facing things. Because I mean, I've been thinking a lot lately, especially like the bleach eyebrows were like one thing where it's like, you lose your humanity when you become like a public facing figure, like where anyone thinks they can say anything and do anything and leave any comment and say whatever they want. And there's like this expectation that like you owe them that because you knew what you were getting into. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. 
The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. I mean, it's really interesting when I think about your high school experience and where you grew up, and then it's almost like a micro version of what you're living now with just the intensity. But then also you have a whole other element of basically people who look up to you and expect you to keep on being this very specific JVN that can feel limiting. And queerness is all about the opposite of that, right? Like breaking down limitations and breaking down barriers and be able to try different things, bleach your fucking eyebrows or wear a skirt or whatever, you know, find different outlets of expression. But then I can imagine becoming this public figure where you're kind of people love JVN and they want this very specific thing. And you're like, hello, I want to continue to evolve, right? Yeah, totally. So I try to do that like outside of Queer Eye. I feel like I do that in my writing. I feel like I do that in my podcast. I feel like I really do that in my comedy. Because, honey, like, it's so funny seeing, like, the straight men who come to see my show, like, with their girlfriends or their wives when they're like, oh, probably do a little hair on there. Maybe he'll tell us about our blazers. And then I'm talking about this, like, secret weird crush that I have on Mitt Romney. And they're like... That's funny. I didn't know that you had a crush I, on Mitt it's Romney. It's like this weird problematic thing. I think it was from Salt Lake City, 2002 uh, Games. You know, he saved those Olympics. I didn't fucking know that. Yeah, tell me. What do you mean? Uh, well, like, they were not going well. Like, the it was, they were having troubles, like, getting it built. They Like, it, like they were way in debt. Like, they, it, Salt Lake City was like, maybe not going to happen to Michelle Kwan ended up being like the bronze medalist from like those games. Like they had to happen. I mean, Mitt Romney came in there with his like fucking jet black, like used car salesman hair dye and his fucking shoulder pads and his fucking like Joseph A. Bank fucking khakis and his little fucking blazers and this big old fucking Adam's apple. My timbers were so shivered. His Adam's apple to this day. I get that. And then my one friend, because he heard me do that stand up and he was like, actually, I used to have the same thing and I know exactly what you mean. But then his office released these pictures of him boxing just a few months ago and it'll take care of it. Like you won't want it. Like you won't have it for him. And I was like, oh, great. I'm going to go look at that because it sucks. You hate being attracted to someone who's terrible for you. Right. But then I went and looked and I was like, no. You're like, I'm still, I'm a diehard. You have, this is a little bit daddy stuff. I have major like daddy. Like I just like like an older, like I've always loved like an older man. Uh Like I always have been like Is your husband older? Two years. Okay. Uh, oh. But he's giving beard. You know, he's giving beard. He's He is. Okay. Yeah, he's got he's, the gray. Yeah. He's got like what I need. Okay. To, like, make, he really, he's, he's so cute. I love him. I want to hear why you decided to write the book and kind of tell your story because I feel like people really feel like they know you. I mean, I wonder if you agree with this, but hair is so intimate. It's like this thing that you, it's a part of your body and it's, it can be embarrassing almost. It's very vulnerable. And I feel like you're very, you handle it so well with these. I really do. And I think it makes people feel closer to you. And I want you to talk a little bit about that and why hair and what your relationship to that is. But then also I want to hear how did you make the decision to be like, okay, I'm going to expose myself and talk about all these really, really personal things that opens you up to, to criticism or hate. Yeah. 
Well, like over the top specifically, I had been writing it like before Queer Eye. Like I'd always been kind of like a journaler and like a writer. But I think, and I say this in Over the Top, I love Queer Eye just as much as like the next person. But like if I don't share my story, like I can't help like the people who I do want to help, which is like all the little JVNs and all of their forums. That was really why I wanted to do it. And I think that the stigma around sexual abuse, um, recovery, living with HIV is so thick with HIV specifically there's nothing that HIV doesn't touch that you can't look through like like race age gender sexuality like it affects everyone in in this way that you can actually talk about anything through your experience with it on an entire spectrum of I have no idea about it and it affects me not at all all the way to like an activist but that still is saying something about it I don't need to care versus there's people who are actively dying can't get their care so that's quite a spectrum to live within and so that was one part another part was what you were saying is that especially for who you see on Queer Eye is who I am. Like, that is who I am. And there's, like, a lot of other sides to me. Like, I'm not in that editing room. I do what I do, and then I leave. Whereas, like, Getting Curious or, like, Gay of Thrones, I've been able to... I'm not in post on Queer Eye. So, like, you don't maybe see, like, conversations where like, I'm like, why are we doing that? You know, you see what people show you. So I wanted to show the other sides of me. And there are other... There's so much more well, to me than... Well, it's also a way of asserting control over your narrative and who you are when you hadn't had that, right? Because the edit, you're not in the editing room. Yeah. But, I mean, I also have to say, like, I love our editors. I love our producers on Queer Eye. Like, they've made me look so good. I'm just saying that there's no, actually no, other parts in there it. where I'm like, a, maybe like kind of a bitch. Where like, oh, is she as much? Do we love her as much as we think we do? And that's why I really did write Over the Top because the crux of Over the Top is would you still love me? And would you still want that selfie? Would you still be my super fan if you really knew everything that I've been through and everything that makes me that like sunny person? Because there is more. And then I said in Love That Story that my experience was yes, like that people were still willing to accept me and people were and are willing to like honor the fullness of who I am as a human. And I don't only need to stay like in that exact, you know, idea of who I am. So I I really felt I've become a writer. I've become a comedian. I became a producer. I've gotten to like do all of these things that I didn't ever think I could do, which I thought was amazing. And then to the hair thing piece of that question, that was like my first love. Like, I remember being, like, three and finding my mom's Barbies and, like, being like, what if I, like, cut her fringe? And my mom was like, that's from 1963, put it down. I remember, like, wanting to watch the Grammys because I thought it was a competition about hair. Wow. Like, I thought that, like, it was only between Whitney and Mariah. Like, I thought it was a competition between <laughs> was, Whitney and Mariah that was only about that's, hair. That's it. It took a long time that's for That's actually my... the Grammys didn't know. But that's, that's what they didn't know, but that's what, what I thought. Yeah, yeah. But I just have always loved hair. And I, th- and I also do love people. There's really nothing like hair because it is an art, but it's also science. It is connecting with people and it's also connecting to yourself. Because, like, when someone comes in with a picture of a bleach and tone and they're like, I have $45 and, like, you know, 30 minutes, you got to listen to your voice. It's like, and... I can't do that. But oh, so it's a weird way of establishing boundaries for yourself, exactly. like knowing your limits. But and that's being... like a whole lesson. I mean, I was like out here in these streets being like, I'll do anything for, because like when you need to get your money and you need to figure out how to build a clientele, but that's like a long process of like learning. Because I was doing hair since I was a teenager. That's such an interesting thing thinking about like the responsibility you have when you're doing somebody else's hair. To and save them from themselves. Yes. Yeah. And to also sometimes let yourself down because you're not going to get the money that you wanted and then let them down because you're not able to like execute the thing that they think they want. Totally. I always do this caveat where like unless it's like transness or like gender, but usually I feel like mother nature is pretty close. Right. It usually seems like a little zhuzh. And in my experience, especially with hairdressing, when shit goes off the rails, like when you end up with what the fuck just happened to my fucking hair, like it's fucked up. It's when you try to take your base color or like your all over color 
two shades lighter or darker than your natural color, wherever you're starting from. Wow. And that's really because of like the nature of hair growth, unless you have Kim K money. And if you notice, like I correctly called on my YouTube, she will go back brown because no one, no matter how much money you have, no one has the patience to sit there every fucking three weeks and have someone bleach eighth inch sections of their fucking hair so it doesn't snap off. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So it is interesting the way we like disregard it. And it's just hair. But yeah. it's expensive. Like, but I just love having all those chats. Like I love getting into it with people. Like, why do you want that? Why don't you want that? Like it's so different than when you're doing makeup. You can't always talk because you're like getting your oh, mouth yeah, yeah. done or whatever. If you're getting facial, it's quiet. Hairdressing, you are chatting. Chatting. It's like getting your nails done and hairdressing. But some clients hate to talk. Yeah. Which was hard for me. you have to learn that. Yeah, that was hard for me. I one time did this one British lady's hair when I was like 20, and she wanted this massive haircut. She had like waist length hair, and she wanted a teeny little bob. And that's really hard to do with like super duper duper thick hair. But I did such a good haircut on her, and then she never came back. I always thought about her. And then two years later, I ran into her in the grocery store, and she saw me, and she lit up. And she was like, oh my God, you gave me the best. She was British. So she's like, you gave me the best haircut I've ever had. And I was like... And she still had the bob. Like, she still had that bob. Not mine, because it had but, been two years, yeah. but she was still maintaining the bob. Yeah. She's like, you gave me the best haircut I've ever had, but you were just, like, way too personal for me. Ooh. And, I'm a little like that. And I was like, ow. Only because I spend so much time talking when British in my people, life. Like, they, love it. they like a boundary more I than mean, what we do. I mean, they do, but they are chatty. And, they're, and they will do sexual jokes in a way they, that I feel like we don't do them so much. Sexual... They just, you know, they wow out. They're they a little, do. yeah. They're, they're, but they're I also just... love it. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. The Anime Awards this year were amazing. And I'm still not over all of the amazing live musical performances. Honestly, same. The Anime Awards may be over, but our discussion is not. If, like us, you're still not over the Anime Awards show and the results, join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. Listening each week to our breakdown of everything that happened at the 2024 Anime Awards and hear news on the other anime and pop culture that you care about. If you don't want to miss all the post-Anime Awards discussion, then tune in to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop. Wondered what it is? Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host. Created it. Been doing it for seven years. I'm Heather McDonald of Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. Now, I could tell you why you should be listening to my show, but my listeners wanted to write the ad for me, and here are some of the things they said. Not your regular Juicy podcast. Catch up on all the juicy topics from Hollywood and pop culture to true crime and beyond. Heather McDonald's Juicy Scoop always has great guests, great laughs, and great gossip. It's a comedian's take on the hottest headlines. Juicy Scoop is the pop culture news you want to hear. No BS, no filter, no filler. Raw, real, and in the moment. Throw in the hilarity of amazing comedians that you'll instantly be obsessed with. A juicy crime story and a dash of normal life in L.A. moments. And you've got yourself an amazing week of Juicy Scoop. Two episodes every week, every Tuesday and Thursday. It will never let you down. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. What's a day in the life like for you? Am I in, in my home? Yes. Okay, I wake up. Mm-hmm. Since 2023 started, I, I don't know how I got so lucky, but I just was like, Mark, make me 
we go make coffee. So he's not like bringing me coffee in bed this year. I don't know what that's about, but it's like he doesn't okay. do it like gracefully. Like he's fucking me three more minutes. And then I'm like, please. Like, and then he's like, okay, you're like not gonna let me go back to bed. So then he just does it. So that's like really cute. So I do that and I come back inside and I get ready. And then usually by that time, it's like my day, like my days are pretty booked. So like it'll be like, either research for getting curious, meetings about getting curious, like production meetings for any projects that I'm working on. There'll be like JV and hair development. Then there'll be like content capture for whatever JV and hair getting curious or whatever I'm, whoever I'm working with. And then usually I'll be done at like six or seven and then I have din din. And then I love to watch TV. Like, oh, I love I that love for you. Watching what do you TV. watch? I'm obsessed with This Is Us right now. Okay. Or, who says that? Jesus Christ. The Last of Us. I mean, oh, I love This Last Is Us stuff. too, but The Last of Us really. Okay. I, I haven't the, seen it. I watched the pilot four times. Oh. I've not done that in a TV show. You love it. I, but I also love like an apocalyptic story. I am hook, line, and sinker for like a 28 Days Later, Walking Dead. Like I feel that. Because I, I also always think about, I go raid the guns. Then I go get like 10 years of HIV meds. I'd have to go to like 10 pharmacies. Then I would go to the grocery store. Then I, because I got to get cat food and I need to get all the like dog and cat food. But yeah, it's always like guns, pharmacy, food. I think I'd be so good in an apocalypse. 10 years of HIV medicine, that part stresses me yeah, out. I need like 10 years. That's what I, I need. I, need my, I think you should just do that now, honestly. I'm actually. When does your prescription like get renewed? They only like give it to you a month. That's crazy. I know. That's so annoying. And it's that's the thing with HIV. It's like, as long as you know you have it and you take your pill every day, you're like, once you achieve and maintain an undetectable viral load, your life expectancy is like 50 to 75 years. You're not contagious sexually. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Yeah. Losing access to that pill. That is like a really weird thing that that's like all it takes, which I also think is not to go on like public policy and health, but I do think it's interesting. When I talk about it online, sometimes I'll see a lot of comments that are like, I didn't get HIV. Why should I pay for your thing? I didn't go out and give you HIV. Like, why do we need to pay for other people? And there's this idea of that and like why we don't have universal health care in this country. I don't know if you learned about this in school, but I remember when we learned in health about like driving under the influence and they were like, look, you don't want to pay 20 bucks for the cab, but getting a DUI is like $20,000. By the time you get a lawyer, you serve time, all these things like your life is ruined. That's what we're doing to our communities by making HIV treatment so inaccessible and making the stigma so huge. Because when someone doesn't know they have HIV and they are not on their medicine and you have a high viral load, if that person is out sleeping with people, they are rapidly spreading HIV. Rapidly. When someone knows they have HIV and they just take one little pill... Like I've I've had HIV for 10 years. If I didn't know I had HIV, I wouldn't know I had it. Is to say I've never had side effects from my pills. I've only gotten hotter, cuter, busier, like looked better. What's it like to live in a state? I know Austin is very liberal, but to be from a place and to work in a place often, right, with Queer Eye and then live in Texas where this is so contested and people really do. It's terrifying. And it's part of why I'm not leaving living in states where like they are literally criminalizing transness and criminalizing queerness. And I mean, that's slowly been like an, a, a thing, but it's like when people would say to me, like, why the fuck would you be in Texas? It's like, cause those people, I'm trying to change things there. Like I want to be a part of that conversation. I think this goes back to the beginning of our conversation, which it's a really huge responsibility to exist in a public space and live your life. Every choice you make thinking about what legacy you want or how you want to see the world change or what who you want to protect and thinking about that kind of with your personal life even yeah. and how you represent yourself but also like where you live and what activism look like to you totally yeah and it being so tied to your personal identity i also think though that i have like learned to like just be like less judgy 
just used to be so much more judgy and so much more opinionated. And now being on this side of things and like, you know, having built my own little success stories, like I just understand people can be so judgmental, can have so many like really vitriolic feelings and assumptions, but like that was so not the case. Right. And you just don't know until you know, you're in it. I was talking about this the other day because it's I've been on both sides, right? I've, I am somebody who consumes celebrity culture who you can't avoid that. And before I was famous, I was very much like that was a, a curtain and I had no idea what was going on. And now being, you know, on the other side, it's kind of a weird thing where I'm like, I totally get it while you guys all have those opinions and those thoughts and why you leave these nasty comments that are about things you totally don't understand. But also now I can just accept that you actually don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah, <laughs> And it's helped me as somebody in the public to be like, okay, I actually forgive every all the haters because I get it. But also, I'm not going to be like that. It still is hard for me. Mm. I find myself wanting to explain. Yeah. Like wanting them to understand. I've learned to let you it go. Can't. Although, I, I mean, th I say that, but I wrote a book and I have a podcast. So I'm obviously trying to explain. <laughs> I'm but doing no, a lot of But in those comments. Explaining. But it's like yeah. explaining to people that don't listen to your oh, podcast yeah. and never read your book. And never will. And probably only watch a 10 second clip. Because those see people know your heart. Husband. Like the yeah. people who like follow you and have read your work, like they know your heart. They know where you're coming from. And same with me. Like, I I think that's a part I wish I could. Like, I think that's a really good lesson, Emily. It's like the people who say that stuff, like, they don't know your heart and they, like, didn't really, like, follow your work. They're just, like, hearing one thing and then, like, ka 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 ka, -ka. Yes. On that note, I'm going to let you go. I've never had so much fun in my life, Emily. Thank you so much for Thank being for here. Me. I'm like, can we go get wine Anytime. next? I'm because always here for you. I feel like there's so many things that we started that I'm ready to continue. Or maybe if you want to come back on the podcast, I'd love to, I'd love to come on yours. I'd love for you to. I mean, not, I'm not trying to invite I myself. I really do. I, Actually, I was going to ask like really yeah. naturally like 20 minutes ago because I have so many questions for you because I felt myself asking questions that I didn't want to be like gross. Like, so, that, but I would love for you to come on getting okay. curious. Okay, no, I would love to do that. And everyone should listen to it. And it's very good. And you were telling me you record it in your house, which yeah. I think is so nice. There's a really like good quality to that. Yeah. So, thank you're my you dog so sometimes. much. Thanks for having me. Honey. I cannot wait to, yeah, follow everything you're doing. So, Mwah. love you. Thank you, Emily. That was love so you. Fun. Thank you so much. That was Jonathan Vaness. I'm so grateful that JVN came in here. Like I said, I'm a huge fan, but I've had so many friends who went to his tour, who've read his books. And so it was like really an honor to, to be able to sit down with him and talk about so many things. And I want to hear from all of you for our, our subscription episode. If you can go to hilo.fm, I want to talk about all the things he said around hair. I think it was really interesting the way that he had this philosophical approach to hair, what he thinks it says about life and about identity and personalities. I also think hearing from Jonathan, I feel like a lot of people who are in the public eye are really scared to talk about what that experience is like and what's it like to get famous and how he feels about his shifting identity, being in the public eye and coming out with all these things in his book that were extremely personal. So I'm curious what you all think about that. And then just, you know, about his connection to the South as a queer person. I think it's really interesting. So please go to hilo.fm, submit your voice notes or comment on my Instagram or my TikTok at mrata, and we will use those for the subscription episode. High Low with Emrata is a Sony Music Entertainment, Bitch Era Media, and Something Else production. Our executive producers are me, Emily Radikowski, and Sarita Wesley. 
Our senior producer is Medina Parwana, and our associate producer is Rachel Choder. Today's episode was engineered by Samantha Gatsik with original music by The Crystal Pharaoh. Thanks for listening.